Good morning. It's uh, wonderful to be uh, back at, at Broncroft. I bring greetings from Debbie. And uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, I'd like to invite you to open to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to uh, look at um, verses 6 through 11 this morning. And uh, before we do that, let's ask God to open our hearts and our minds to the truth of his word. Let's pray. Lord, what a, what a privilege to have Bibles to be able to come together, not to hear what a, a person has to say, but what you, the living God, have to say. So as we, as we open your word this morning, um, take us to Jesus. Show us how, how wonderful he is. Give us a heart like Jesus for the world that you love. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Love changes us. The, the people or things you and I choose to love influence who we are and what we do. When I studied uh, back in 19, the 1970s at Wheaton College, um, I had a reputation as uh, an unlikely candidate to, to get married. Um, it was mostly because I believed that God was leading me to the mission field and sensed that it might be best to go as a single person. That all changed dramatically when my senior year, when I met Debbie from Rochester, New York. Immediately, people began to notice a change in me. Because when you're in love um, with someone, you think about them. You want to spend time with them. You uh, become interested in the things that they're interested in. You, you talk about them. Um, some even say that couples in a happy marriage start looking like each other. Now, this is true in our relationship with one another, how much more so in our relationship with Christ. C.S. Lewis said that a person's spiritual health is directly proportional to their love for God. True. If we love Jesus, it will be obvious in the way we think and the way we speak and the way we act. Has your relationship with Jesus changed you? Do you love Jesus so much that what he loves is what you love? Do you, do you love him so much that you've started looking like him? Do people see Jesus in you in the words you speak, in the way you treat other people, in the way you invest your time, in the way you spend your money? The central theme of the Bible is that God loves the world. God loves you. He loves us so much he sent Jesus on a rescue mission so that people from every nation, tribe, people, and language would have a saving knowledge of God, would follow God, would love God, would have their lives transformed by him, and one day would worship around his throne as members of his family. Jesus loves us so much, he wants us to be with him. He wants us to participate with him in his great work. Um, of reaching the world for himself. And, and, and this is what we'll explore in the passage we'll be looking at this morning. Listen to how Jesus expresses this to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Acts 1, 6 through 11 says, When the disciples had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So here Jesus identifies his followers as his witnesses. And he tells us what we need to know to be faithful to his church. If we love Jesus, we'll be faithful witnesses. A faithful witness is a person who thinks like Jesus, is a person who relies on the help that, that he provides, and is a person who stays true to his plan. We, we have only one precious life to offer in the service of Jesus. May God show us that the most important thing is loving God, is serving God. May God help us invest our lives well as faithful witnesses who first think like Jesus. Now, if you were to ask the, the average church attender to describe why the, the church exists or what God's purpose is for Christians, what do you think they'd say? I believe many would say that God wants us to be good and to make the world a better place. And there's no doubt that God loves goodness. When Christians live as salt and light for Jesus, we will influence the world for good. There's no doubt. But I submit to you that God has something far greater and more specific in mind. Goodness is an important byproduct or fruit of his purpose for us as Christians and the church. But his main objective is spiritual rescue. Jesus did not come primarily to improve the quality of our circumstances, but rather to bear sin's punishment and bring sinners to himself so that we would glorify God. And we can see his priority in verse 3 that we didn't read this morning, but where it says that after the resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days, 40 days, with his disciples before returning into heaven, teaching them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, that is Jesus' priority. The, his kingdom is his rule, his, his reign in the lives of men and women whom he rescues and brings into a, a relationship uh, with himself, into God's family. Now we come into this relationship as a result of his saving grace, forgiving our sins, and reconciling us to God and adopting us into God's family. In the Gospels, the kingdom of God is, is Jesus' focus. He, he came to rescue people from sin's destruction and, and bring them into the family of God. Now, now this brings us to verse 6, where Jesus says, I'm sorry, where the disciples say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, now what's, what's most obvious about their question is that there's a problem, a big problem, because Jesus has just spent 40 days explaining the kingdom of God to his disciples, but they don't understand. They, they should understand his priority after 40 days, but they don't get what Jesus is about. John Calvin made the observation that there are as many errors in this question as there are words. They ask, Lord, is it at this time? Is it at this time? They're, they're expecting something immediate. 
They think Jesus will restore immediately the kingdom to Israel. They don't understand the gradual expansion of the kingdom of God, starting in Jerusalem locally, expanding regionally through Judea and Samaria, and reaching globally to the end of the, of the earth. They don't understand that. Also, they're confused about the kind of kingdom Jesus is building. They say, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The, the term restore shows that they expect a geopolitical solution, making Israel a, an independent nation. And, and clearly, this is not what Jesus had in mind. The, the, Jesus, the Lamb of God, came to rescue, came to take away the sins of the world. He came to rescue people spiritually. And, and then there's the scope of the kingdom of God. They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus' kingdom is not about a specific place, an exclusive place or group of people. He came to rescue people from every place. Throughout redemptive history, God makes it clear that his purpose, his scope is the world. Through Habakkuk, God says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So in verse 7, Jesus corrects the disciples' misunderstanding. He says, it is not for you to know times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. Now, this warning has, has particular application for the church in 2020. It, it, it is so easy for us to get distracted. It is so easy for us to veer off the main thing. It is so easy for us to get entangled in secondary issues. And we need to be careful how much energy we dedicate to anything that is not Jesus' priority. May I ask you this morning, do, do you see ways in which your love for Jesus has changed you? Does what you believe about God affect who you are and what you do? Are, are you involved in what is his priority? Are you? One, one simple way to answer that, that question is to ask yourself, in the past seven days, who have I spoken with where I explained specifically how to, to find forgiveness of sins and, and enter into a, a personal relationship with Jesus, with anyone? It, it, it's surprising how few Christians are actually doing this. I think, I think the reason that we're not involved and, and the reason we're so bad at reaching our generation for Christ is because like the disciples, we're not thinking like Jesus. We, we don't understand his priority because if we did, if we really thought like Jesus, we'd be acting like Jesus. The, the wonderful news is that when we fail as believers, we can repent. We can ask God to help us change. That's the grace of God. A few years back, one of my Bolivian co-workers, uh, Pastor Edgar, helped me think differently about this. Edgar had come to see his neighbors in a different light. He said, he said, he said I might be the only Christian, the only real Christian that they will ever know. If I don't tell them, who will? I, I believe God has placed me in this neighborhood to tell these specific people about Jesus. They're my responsibility they're my responsibility. I started making it my daily prayer, Lord, help me see people around me as you see them. Help me do that, Lord. I, I love how Broncroft does this. You have set the bar really high. 
in the way you've taken on the wall of people in Senegal and, and how God is using you to impact in the 1040 window and so many, so many global partners that you are involved with that are making an impact around the world. But what about you personally? How are you being intentional about reaching out to people, pointing them to Jesus, both locally and globally? Every Christian, every Christian has been given the privilege to go and tell. It it might be across the ocean. It might be across the street. Each of us has the responsibility to be a Christian witness. May may God give us Jesus' sense of urgency and priority and use us so that no one would live or die without having the opportunity to hear the goodness of Jesus Christ. We are, we are Jesus' witnesses. We are Jesus' witnesses. And a faithful witness first thinks like Jesus and, and second relies on the help that he provides. Now, now we see this in verse, uh, verse eight. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here Jesus promises the mighty help of God. Why do we need this help? Well, two reasons. One, because sinners don't naturally see their need for Jesus. And two, because believers don't naturally share their faith with others. So we need God's supernatural power to overcome these two obstacles. The word power that Jesus uses is dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. So Jesus gives us the mighty explosive power of the Holy Spirit to make our gospel witness effective. The Holy Spirit takes our gospel proclamation and uses it to show, convince people of their sin and draw them to Jesus. Have you ever talked with a a friend about who Jesus is and, and why he came? Maybe you even studied the Bible with him. And at some point, the light came on. They saw their sin and they, and they responded to Jesus. What caused them to do this? Was it because they were so, so naturally smart or because they were so naturally virtuous? No. It's because the Holy Spirit was working powerfully in their mind and their heart, showing them their sin and convincing of their need for Jesus and drawing them to the Savior. So we need the power of God to do the work of God. The Holy Spirit takes our gospel proclamation and powerfully breaks down the darkness of resistance and brings people to Jesus. That's what he does. The the message of the gospel is what the Holy Spirit uses to convince and convert. Paul states in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul explains how this works. He says, it pleased God through the message of the cross, which the world considers folly and weakness, to save those who believe through the message of the cross. Paul's message was Jesus, Jesus crucified. Now, if we wish to see gospel results, we need to use gospel resources. So when we talk to people about Jesus, use the mighty power of God, use the Bible, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This means that, 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 we, that we point people to Jesus and not to us. The, the word witness makes this clear. The word martis um, in the original is, is the word from which we get the word uh, martyr. A martyr is one who gives up his or her, or her life for the truth that they sustain. So, so we point people to Jesus. 
the mighty, wonderful Savior. Now, consider how, how amazing this is, that God in his grace would choose to involve us in this great work, in this supremely important task of reaching the world for Christ. For, for what are we but jars of clay who lose our way, who become distracted, who get discouraged, who, who are fearful? It, it's, it's not natural for us to share our faith. Nevertheless, Jesus places the supremely important task in the hands of his people with the greatest of confidence. Why? Well, it's not because of our strength. It's not because of our ability. It's because his presence in us guarantees success. The indwelling Holy Spirit helps us be faithful witnesses. We see this power at work in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit took Peter's proclamation of the life and death of Jesus, the crucified Christ and, and risen Christ, and powerfully brought 3,000 people to Jesus. So, so the fact that we are jars of clay is actually a benefit because it shows that the power is not from us, but that it's from God. So the Holy Spirit works powerfully to convince unbelieving people of their need for Christ and helps believers overcome obstacles that would otherwise neutralize us. Timidity, fear of rejection, seeking the approval of people will keep us from talking to people about the good news of Jesus because we all want to be accepted. We all want to be liked. We are all people pleasers to some degree. And this makes us want to be silent and to compromise. But the Holy Spirit helps us. He, he powerfully gives us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. He shows us how truly, truly great and wonderful Jesus is. He fills us with the wonder and the beauty of Christ so that we, as we grow in the experience of, of, of God's love and grace, we grow in the experience of the burden of wanting other people to know this Jesus and believe in him and, and love him and worship him. The, the Holy Spirit fills us with, with a loyal love for Christ that desires that Jesus' glory fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. The Holy Spirit works powerfully in us, making us useful instruments for God. And, and that's why early Christians were so compelling to the world. The Holy Spirit filled them with such a love and wonder for Christ they, they could not stop talking about Jesus. They wanted everyone everywhere to know the wonderful Savior who had given his life to rescue them. And when they met people, they would say, could I, could I tell you the, the greatest news ever? God loves you. God sent his son to save us. Jesus rescued my life. It was, it was broken. It was absolutely broken, but he, he put it together in, in, in a completely new way. And he can do the same for you. His death gives forgiveness. It gives reconciliation with God. It gives new life. Early Christians were so captivated by Jesus, they couldn't stop talking about him. They were in love with, Je with Jesus. Their lives were changed by the love of God. They had become faithful witnesses who thought like Jesus, who relied on his help, and who stayed true to his plan. In verse 9, Luke records, After Jesus said these things, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going. Now, pause, picture for a minute the, 
the, the, the, the scene. The, the disciples are standing there looking up and, and immediately uh, two angels appear and say, men of Galilee, why, why do you stand there looking at the sky? The, the same Jesus who has, has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Why do you stand there when there is work to do? Jesus had been clear about his instruction. Take the whole gospel to the whole world so people can know the great Savior. But they were distracted. The disciples needed to be reminded of the priority, the urgency of the task that Jesus had called them to. And, and the same is true for us today. If, if you and I are going to be faithful witnesses who love Jesus, we need to apply our mind to think like Jesus, our heart to rely on his help, and our will to stay true to his task. It, it is this urgency that we see in Paul. Paul gave his all to do the will of the one who loved him, to finish his task. Um, Listen now, Paul explains this in Romans chapter 15, verses 17 through 21. Paul states, in Christ Jesus, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Jesus has accomplished through me. Wow. To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Jesus. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Listen to this. Where Jesus has, not where Jesus has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. Paul's passion was to honor Christ with his life, to be true to that call. So he faithfully told everyone everywhere about the wonderful, mighty Savior, and especially in places that had never heard the good news of Jesus. May God give us this same heart of love for Jesus. Today, the, the task is far from finished. Uh, of the nearly 8 billion people in our world today, the vast majority remain unreached. And, and they are our responsibility. I, I, I encourage you to look at the panel outside. It is so impressive. 6,500 unreached, identified unreached people groups. India is just one example. The most populous country in uh, one of the most populous countries in the 1040 window, uh, my friend, Pastor Isaac, uh, director of Delhi Bible Institute, tells me that, that only one town, listen to this, one town in 120 has even one believer. One town in 120. What an opportunity, as we saw in the video a few moments ago, to pray, to give, to go because so many still remain outside of Christ. The key to finishing this task is not more brilliant strategies or funding programs, although God will certainly, certainly use those things. But the key, the key is our own personal seriousness about Jesus. You and I need to pray that the Holy Spirit will fill us with the love of Christ. Only, only if Jesus is our passion will we give the best of our time and our resources and ourselves to be his witnesses, 
to take that message to people who are without God and without hope in this world. It makes me think of one of the stories in the Old Testament. I love this story. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, it tells about a time when the Philistines had taken control of David's hometown, Bethlehem. David and his men, his mighty men, were camped at the, at the cave of Adullam. And, and one day, David reminiscing about Bethlehem and his hometown and ex, ex, expressed the longing of his heart. He said, oh, that someone would, would get me a drink of water from, from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. David never imagined that anyone would do this, but three of his mighty men set out to get water for David. Wow. Verse 16 tells how they broke into occupied territory. They drew water from the well at the well of Bethlehem and they returned to David. Imagine the Philistine soldiers scratching their heads when three men appear over the wall, slinging water pouches, fight their way to the well, draw water, and then hightail out of town. And, and these men did this at the risk of their lives. Why did, why did they do it? What would motivate men to, to risk their lives for a glass of water? David never ordered them to go. They were not trying to get something from David in return. There's just one reason. It's love. These brave men love their king. Their desire was his desire. They, their desire, the desire of their king was, was to fulfill his desire. They, they wanted to fulfill the longing of his heart. And, and when they presented this water before David, it, it says he refused to drink it. it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord, saying, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who went at the risk of their lives? These men gave their best to please their king because they loved him. This story points, points forward to the, to the son of David, Jesus, the promised Messiah, the king, our king, who came to save us from our sins. He gave his life to redeem us, to rescue us, to make, it, to, to make us part of his family. The desire of his heart is that the world would hear his message of salvation and be saved. So yes, love changes us. Does your love for Jesus make you sold out to Jesus to finish his work, to give your best, to take his message to people who are yet unreached or unresponsive, people who are without God and without hope in this world, knowing that Jesus is the only name given among men by which we must be saved? Today, will you ask God to show you how he would have you apply his word to your life. You can go, you can pray, you can go, and you can give. I, I, I love how the, the, the video put that. And, and missions is not just for other people. This is for you. And, and in addition to that, you can also talk. You can talk to people about Jesus. We live in a broken world. People all around us are broken and in need of the Savior's healing kindness. Whether it's Rochester or India or Senegal, may God give us a heart of love, a passion to honor Jesus, a boldness to fulfill his desire, a confidence in the Holy Spirit so that we can 
make it our goal to finish this task in our generation. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you saved us. Thank you that you called us to be your witnesses. Please, Lord, give us a heart like Jesus. Give give us a heart that that is broken. Give us a heart that cares for the lost. Give us a heart of love that that takes action this week. Use us to impact the the 1040 window and, and our own city so that the earth will be filled with your glory as the waters cover the sea. And Lord, we ask this in the strong name of Jesus today. Amen.